Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today we're going to be talking again about the blood of Jesus. It's really almost an inexhaustible subject in the, in the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. But I just want to give you a couple of key verses before we talk about something we haven't talked about yet. 1 Peter 1:18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things from the vain conversation or the lifestyle received by the tradition of your fathers. Now, I think this is so, so, so where, where it says the vain conversation or endless or, or unproductive lifestyle. What, what this is saying is that when you become a part of the kingdom of God, God gives you purpose. Uh, one of the big questions is, what's the purpose of life? And, and of course, people try to answer that, but they start with the wrong place. They start with themselves. And you really cannot understand purpose without starting with God. Because that's where it all began. It didn't begin with you. It started with God. But the Bible is telling us that there is this aimless lifestyle. There, there's really no purpose. There are literally seminars that you can go to, secular seminars. They tell you, invent a purpose and then believe that it's important and live for it. But God says there is a purpose. And when you come into the kingdom, that purpose becomes established in your life. But you weren't redeemed with anything corruptible, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, when it says you're redeemed, what it's saying is this, that Adam and Eve came under subjection to the devil. They literally, when God created them, he created them to have dominion. He said, he said, let him put, let us put him over all the works of our hands. But when they sin, they fell under Satan's dominion. And all of us, the same thing because we're children, sons and daughters of Adam. We, we are in that same place and we are under the Bible says the domain of darkness, the darkness and gloom of his kingdom, the grip of the power of darkness. In fact, in first John, it says, we know that we are in God of God and the whole world lies in the grip of the wicked one. But when you become a part of the, of, of the kingdom of God, you are taken out from under the domain, the darkness, the gloom, the doom of Satan's kingdom and put into the kingdom of the son of his love. And it happens by the blood. Revelation 3, Revelation, excuse me, Romans 3, verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation or a sacrifice through faith in his blood. Most Christians never think about having faith in the blood of Jesus. But the Bible tells us that that is how he becomes your sacrifice. Your substitute is through faith in his blood. And because faith is largely dependent on knowledge, you cannot believe for what you do not know. So we need to know something about the blood of Jesus, what it purchased for us. It's so important. In Revelation 12 and 11, it says, they, that you overcome him, that Satan and his kingdom by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. In other words, there is no such thing as overcoming victory without the blood of the lamb. We have to understand it. 
In fact, in Acts 20 and verse 28, it says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. God purchased you with his own blood. Jesus' blood was the blood of God. And the power of the blood is in the worth of the life. And in Jesus' blood was the power of divine life dwelling and working almighty, unceasing power. So Revelation 1 and verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to God the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever. One of the things that the blood has done, it is it, Jesus has washed us from our sins, but he didn't leave us there. He made us to be kings and priests. So you are a king. By the blood of Jesus, you've been made a king. In fact, I'd like you to turn to somebody and just say, I'm a king. And you turn to them and say, and so am I. That's right. He has made you to be a king. Now, in Romans 5, verse 17, it talks about the free gift of righteousness, putting them in right standing with himself, to reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Because you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness, because you've been washed in the blood, because you've been purchased with that blood, and he made you a king and a priest, the Bible says you are to reign as a king in life. You're to reign as a king. Again, you're delivered, you're translated out from under the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. He made you a king. Now, the Bible says that he is the king of kings. He's the king of kings. What he did is he gave you dominion. Now, in uh, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has risen from the dead and he's speaking with his disciples. And he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now, here's what he says. I have authority. Now you go. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I am giving you that authority that I have. As a believer, you have authority. If someone said it like this, it's, it's as if Jesus gave you the power of attorney. Jeannie and I lived in Mexico for seven years. And during those seven years, we had signed power of attorney to my brother-in-law, Daryl. And so he could do anything legally for us. He could uh, go to the bank. He could purchase a, purchase property, purchase a vehicle, whatever he needed to do. He could do it because he had our power of authority or power of attorney. Now, the same thing happened here. Jesus has given the church power of attorney or power to use his name. He said, up until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask that you may receive, that your joy may be full. He said, I've given you my name. Now, it's like when, when you get married, like Jeannie and I, we got, we got married. And the next day, she could go to the bank 
And with one swoop of the pen, just write her name and get everything, right? Because she had my name. But Jesus has given us his name. He's given us his authority. And the Bible says that we are to reign as kings in life. Now, let me say this. That that doesn't mean there's never going to be opposition. I don't think there is such a thing as unopposed faith. When you start to move in faith, it will be, there will be opposition from the kingdom of darkness. And besides that, there is suffering that we are called to do as Christians. Now, this is one of the most unpopular subjects. But if you look in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says you are called to suffer for doing what's right. Jesus talked about suffering for righteousness sake, for the kingdom's sake, and for his name's sake. Now, I'm not talking about suffering with sickness and disease, but for doing right, for the kingdom of God, for his name's sake, for the kingdom's sake. The Bible says that there, there is a time when believers will suffer. However, you are to live as a king in life. And the way that you exercise the authority that Jesus has given you is with words. In fact, in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, it says, where the word of a king is, there is power. Where the word of a king is, there's power. And you are a king. And you're to, you, you are to exercise the authority that Jesus gave you, the dominion he gave you through the words of your mouth. We talked a little bit about this last week. Well, even as a priest, you're called to bless. In fact, in Luke 10, Jesus said, whatever house you enter, first say to the house, peace to this house. How many ever done that? Jesus said, every time you go into a house, just say, peace to this house. Now, the word in Hebrew is the word shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, tranquility. He says, you speak that to the house. Uh, even more anciently, the, 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 word, it, it, the word shalom in Hebrew, it's four Hebrew letters. The first one is like a jagged tooth and means to destroy. The separate, second one is a shepherd's hook, and it speaks of authority. The third is a nail, which is to a, something to attach. And the third, a wave, meaning chaos. And literally, shalom in its original meaning was to destroy the authority attached to chaos. To destroy the authority attached to chaos. But Jesus said, when you get there, you say peace to this house. And he said, if there's somebody there, a person of peace, your peace will rest there. He said, if not, it'll come back to you. You see, they can receive it or they can reject it. Jesus said, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. In Romans 12, it says, bless and do not curse. In 1 Corinthians 4, It says, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. In fact, as believers, we are told again and again to speak words of blessing, that those words would strengthen, those words would bring prosperity, those words would bring tranquility and harmony and peace and wholeness into situations. The one time that we're told not to bless, by the way, is in 2 John verse 9. Well, let's start with the 10th verse. 
If there come to you any unto you and bring not this doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, receive him not into your house, neither bid him or speak to him God's speed. For he who biddeth him or speaks to him God's speed is partakers of his evil deeds. So here's what it's saying. It's saying you just speaking something to someone. God speed. God bless you. God help you. Your words empower and your words strengthen that person. And it says, and we don't want you to strengthen, to speak prosperity and wholeness and success into somebody who's going against the doctrine of Christ. So your, your authority is exercised through words. Now, God's word is law in the realm of the spirit. God's word is law in the realm of the spirit, which is why the Bible tells us to speak that word. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Isaiah 59, my words that I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor the mouth of your descendants from this time forth and forevermore. Matthew 4, Jesus said in the fourth verse, he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So God first spoke his word and then it was written. But really the reason it's written, because you have a Bible, there is no power in the Bible, but it's powerful when you speak it. You see, it's written so you can speak it. So you can get it down in your heart and you can speak that word. Now notice Matthew 4, Luke 4, Jesus is being tempted by the devil. The devil comes and Jesus said, it is written. And he comes again and he said, it is. And he comes again and he says, it is written. Jesus defeated the enemy by using the word of God. He exercised his dominion with spoken words. And the words that he were used were God's word. That's what he used. Now, it's so important that we understand that our authority that we have in Christ is released through the words that we speak. In Matthew chapter 8, there is a man who comes to Jesus. And this is just a great example of how authority and words are connected. So th this, this centurion has a servant who he wants to be healed. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. In verse 8, Lord, he said, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. I have soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. Jesus did not marvel a lot. But when he heard what that man said, the Bible says he marveled. He said, here I found somebody. In fact, he goes on and, and he says, look, I haven't found anything like this in all of Israel. This guy understands authority. And he said, I say it and it's done. I say to this servant, go. And he goes. I say to this one, come. And he comes. And I say to another, do this. And he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and he said, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found so great a faith, not even in Israel. And then he said to the centurion, go your way as you have believed it will be done for you 
and his servant was healed the same hour. See, you release your faith and the authority that you have through the words that you speak. Romans chapter 10, verse 6. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say. Now, notice it says faith speaks because that's what it does. Faith speaks. When Jesus is asked by his disciples to explain faith, and we'll talk about this in a moment, or if not, we'll get to it tonight. But when he's asked by his disciples, explain faith. Now, if somebody said to you or to me, explain faith, what we would probably say, faith is believing, faith is trust, faith is confidence. And I think all of those are good. But that is not what Jesus said. And how many of you will agree with me that Jesus knows more about faith than you or me? So when the disciples are like, Jesus, what about this faith? This is what Jesus said. He said, verily or truly, I say to you, Jesus always tells the truth, right? So when he starts a conversation with you by saying, I'm going to tell you the truth, this is what it means. It means two things. First of all, he will tell you the truth. Secondly, you will not believe it. So I'm going to just warn you right now. We're going to look at what Jesus said for just a second here. And you will not believe it. You are going to go, well, there's got to be more to it. No, that's not, I, I, I just don't, I, that, no, that can't be right. That's what your brain is going to tell you. But I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus is right. Truly, I say to you that whosoever will say. Whosoever will what? Say. say. Jesus said the first thing to understand about faith is that you have to say something. So all you need to do to be disqualified is keep your mouth shut. Because it won't work for you unless you say. And you say, yeah, but I'm, 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 I'm not that educated. I've done this. I've done that. You know, I come from this background or that background. No, Jesus said this will work for whosoever. Doesn't matter if, if you live in a cardboard box under a bridge or in a mansion on Fifth Avenue in New York. Doesn't matter. This will work for whosoever will say. So if you're, listen, if your faith will not move your mouth, it will never move a mountain. The first thing your faith will ever move is your mouth. Whosoever will say. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say. God's word is spiritual law. God's word is spiritual law. And what God wants us to do is say what he says. This book of the law should not depart out of your mouth. My words I put in your mouth should not depart out of your mouth, nor the mouth of your descendants, nor the mouth of your descendants' descendants from this time forth and forevermore. But there are things that faith will not say. It says here, don't say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So there's things that faith will not say. Now, I've, I've told this before, but uh, the, the thing about life is you only have one, you've got to use the illustrations you have. 
My dad was in World War II. And a, a lot of the, the, the men in his platoon did not make it. And, and I guess they call it guilt syndrome. But we, we, we would hear him say this. We would hear him say, I, I should have died in the war. I should have died in the war. But I'll never live to be old. I should have died in the war. I'll never live to be 50. I should have died in the war. I'll never live to be 50. I should have died in the war. I never lived to be 50. I should have died in the war, but I'll never live to be 50. I should have died in the war, but I'll never live to be 50. I heard him say that hundreds of times. 49 years old, he dies. Now somebody says, that's a coincidence. I don't think so. I do not think so. In fact, the book of James, the third chapter, says that your tongue sets in motion the cycle of nature. It moves the natural cycle of nature into motion. The things that you say. So it says here, faith will not say certain things. Listen, faith will not say what disagrees with God. It won't say it. But what does it say? What does faith say? It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Even the word of faith, which we preach. So where does faith need to be? It needs to be in your mouth and in your heart. If it's just in your mouth, you may as well be a parrot. It's got to be in both places. It's got to be in both places. I, I like to con look, consider faith like a coin. If you have a quarter on one side, there's an eagle. On the other side is a dead president. Listen, the Treasury Department says that both sides need to be intact for that to be legal tender. If either side is marred, it is not legal tender. And when it comes to faith, it needs to be in your mouth and it needs to be in your heart. And if either side, either part is not working, it's not legal tender. So 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, since we have the same spirit of faith, we have the same, literally the identical it's been said you could translate this like it is a carbon copy. It is the exact same spirit of faith. And the most precious thing that any of us could ever have is not a large trust fund, but it is the spirit of faith. The spirit of faith. You can, it has nothing to do with how old you are, by the way. David is like 15 years old and he has the spirit of faith. Moses is in his 80s and he has the spirit of faith. So, so David is going to fight Goliath. And David says, I'll go and I'll take his head off. And the, the, the Lord God that protected me from the, law of the lion, from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he's going to deliver this Philistine into my hand. So it says here in 2 Corinthians 4, 13, quoting David, according to what's written, I believed, therefore I spoke. He believed, therefore he spoke. We also believe, therefore we speak. It's the identical spirit of faith. Faith does not work one way in the Old Testament and another way today. It works identically. You believe, therefore you speak. The spoken word of God has creative power. And in the spirit world, the spirit world literally is controlled by the word of God. In Psalms 119 verse 89, it says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. You know, there may be a lot of seminaries where they are discussing the word of God. 
where, where, where they're saying, no, this part's passed away. This part isn't for us. And maybe over Thanksgiving, you're, you're going to be talking with your relatives about something. And there's some, somebody's going to say, well, that's not for us. And that's passed away. And God doesn't do that anymore. But I got news for you. We can argue all we want, but in heaven, his word is settled. It is settled forever. In fact, Psalms 138 verse two says, you have magnified your word above all your name. In other words, if God does not perform his word, he's not God anymore. He's magnified his word above all of his name. The natural world is controlled by men and women speaking words. And hopefully you'll be speaking God's word. Death and life, the Bible says, are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat its fruit. We need to be word conscious. We need to be checking what am I saying? Because your words are like seeds that you're planting and they are going to bring forth a crop. How many ever heard somebody say you're going to eat those words? I should do a sermon and call it you're going to eat your words because that's the truth. You are going to eat your words. Not just the ones that somebody tells you you're going to eat, but you're going to eat them all. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat, will eat the fruit thereof. Matthew 12, 15, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart, he brings forth good things. An evil man out of an evil treasure brings forth evil things. What most of us believe is that life is like a lottery. You just don't know how it's going to go. Some people are lucky. Some people aren't lucky. And with whatever going to be, you know, you just don't know. But that is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you bring it forth. You bring forth the things that happen in your life by the words that you speak. And remember, when God created man, he said, let him have dominion. You were created to have dominion, but the, the dominion, the authority that you have is released by the words that you speak. Luke 1 37, it will not be impossible with God to fulfill his every declaration, fulfill his every declaration. Everything God said, he's, the Bible says he's watching over his word to perform it. It's not impossible with God to fulfill every declaration. In Luke chapter one, in the beginning of the chapter, the angel Gabriel is sent to the temple where Zechariah, one of the priests, is inside working. Zechariah is old, and he and his wife Elizabeth have had no children. And the angel appears to him and says that your, your wife is going to bear you a son. He called his name John, and he's going to bring great joy and gladness. And he's listening to Gabriel. And he says, how will I know this? Because I'm an old man and my wife's well advanced in years. He's like, you know, this just isn't going to work. And the angel says, look, I'm Gabriel. I come from the presence of God. And listen, you want a sign? The sign is shut up. You will not be able to speak until the child is born. You say, why did he do that? I think he did that because he didn't want Zachari he didn't want Zacharias messing things up, going, oh, that can't, how is my wife ever going to get pregnant? My goodness, we're 93 years old. How is that ever going to work? 
Lord just shut her mouth. The Lord shut his mouth up. He couldn't speak. I think it's interesting when Joshua was going to go into the promised land and take the city of Jericho, God gave him a great strategy. He said, walk around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, walk around seven times. Then blow the trumpets and shout. Now, this is, this is, this is what Joshua said. Walk around the city each day, one time for six days. And then on the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. And you will not say one word the whole time until we blow the trumpets and you shout. And you say, why did he do that? I think he did that because he knew what was going to happen. On about the fifth day, they'd be going, this is the stupidest strategy I've ever heard of. Walking around this city, their walls, oh, look at these walls. They aren't going to fall down because we're walking. He's going to have us walking for a thousand years. My goodness, what are we going to do with a leader like that? He said, don't say a word. But then they blew the trumpet and they shouted and the walls fell. Same chapter, Luke chapter one. About six months later, Gabriel gets sent again. And this time, he's sent to Mary, girl in Nazareth. And he tells her, you're going to have a child. And she says, well, how could that be? Because I don't have a husband. And he said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And her response is, be it unto me according to your word. Be it unto me according to your word. And exactly what she believed is exactly what she received. What God wants you and I to do is to understand that as a king, because Jesus has made you a king, where your word is, there's power. You have authority. And his word is law in the realm of the spirit. And you and I need to speak what God says about our situation. And when we agree with God, there is no declaration of God that is impossible. Everything that he said, he is watching over his word to perform it. But we need to be careful with the things that we say. In fact, in the book of James, the third chapter, it tells us that your tongue is like the rudder of a ship. It's not a storm that decides where the ship goes, but it's the helmsman who moves the rudder. And he says, and so is your tongue among your members. It's not the storm that you face, but it's what's coming out of your mouth. The words that you're speaking, they're going to determine the direction of your life. And then he goes on, and this is a statement that just absolutely floored me when I first saw it 40 years ago. He says, and the tongue is set on fire by hell. In other words, the devil tries to use your tongue against you. He tries to have you speaking words that are contrary to the word of God. And he goes on and he just says, hey, out of the same well, there shouldn't be salt water and fresh water. He said, we shouldn't have a tongue that's agreeing with God on one hand and disagreeing with God on the other. He said, my word that I put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth, nor the mouth of your descendants nor the mouth of your descendants, descendants from this time forth and forevermore. Say, so would you please bow your heads for just a moment? Thank you for watching and being a part of our online family. Subscribe to our channel for access to all of our videos and live services. You can also be notified when a new service becomes available if you ring the notification bell. 
We cannot do this without you. You can support this ministry and help us reach more people with the word by giving at reslife.org give. Thanks again for watching. Be blessed.